right, we got 6.10 on the clock. So you guys grab your dessert, grab some tea, grab some coffee, hot cocoa, do what you gotta do, find a chair. There's a few more sitting up in the back, but come on in. Welcome again to More to Life, December edition. We've got a two-part series starting tonight and finishing up on the 18th. Um, but before we go there, I have to do my weekly plug of, if you want to sign up for notifications or be in the loop about anything More to Life does, it's in the back, it's on the table. You can put your name down, phone number, mailing address. There's also a sheet back there that says generosity experiments. We've got the time, we've got the money. What can we do locally to help someone out a group of people out, what can we do? If you've got any ideas, throw it on here. Because a percentage of the money that gets donated to More to Life, we've got that sitting around, we're waiting. It's, it's ready to blow on somebody for the sake of goodness, to make a difference, to make an impact, to do something. Because a lot of times, stuff requires money. And we don't want that to be an obstacle for people in various situations. So if you've got any ideas, Write it down, give it to us. We want to know what we could do locally um, or even not locally. Hey, we bought teachers supplies in uh, what state? Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. It was actually a person who was here and was a part of More to Life and that family moved away and she's a teacher and she moved into a district that needed some serious help. And so we helped out, we made it happen, you know? Um, yeah, right? It's our sister city. Anyway, with all of that out of the way, I have this printed up, and it's sitting there on the back table for you. It's, it's by a, a guy named Joshua Becker, and he makes like a monthly, sometimes bi-weekly post. He does a blog. He started this whole website called Becoming Minimalist. And um, I was fascinated with it when it started out. I was following this guy and paying attention to him. And so I get his little doses kind of sent my way whenever he makes a post. And he put one out recently that I was just loving. Loving, loving, loving. So I printed it up. It's sitting on the back for you. I also sent it out in the last More Life email. There's a link there. You can check it out. But I'm going to highlight just a little bit of this tonight because this two-part series in December is all about rethinking the way that we give gifts and what gift giving actually even looks like and how it can be a little bit more beneficial to us, right? And so I'm gonna highlight some of the things he said, and I've got some of it put on um, slides for you too, but this is a quote, and it says, 25 years ago, Christmas was not the burden that it is now. There was less haggling and weighing, less quid pro quo, pro quo less fatigue of body, less wearing of soul, and most of all, there was less loading up with trash. This was a quote from 1904. <laughs> and that's 25 years before 1904. Right? 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 So this is back 1904, right? So let's ramp it up and bring it to where we're at in 2018. I don't know about you, but I did visit a store the day after Halloween, and the shelves were cleared of Halloween stuff, and Christmas stuff was out in full force. It was all there. You guys experience this consumer-driven culture and we're all like a byproduct of it. We've all experienced it, we've all been there. Whew. 
I love that this is from 1904. <laughs> I love it. When I read, I was reading it, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, 1904, what? How in the world? Anyway, he goes on to talk and hear about how gifts used to be a sign of respect and status, right? That like if we back up far enough, gifts were there. And he's not down on giving gifts to people we love. He's just saying it might be time that we rethink it. The level to which we take it and all experience it. So he's got in here, 28% of shoppers are in are entering the holiday season still paying off debt from last year's gift shopping. It's 28% of shoppers. That's crazy, right? Over 50% of holiday shoppers either overspend their holiday budget or they don't even have one. <laughs> they don't even set a budget, right? I'm probably more, I'm, I lean that tendency with everything. I never set budgets. Anne's the budget setter. She makes it all happen. He said consumers who went into debt over the holiday season racked up an average of $1,054 in new debt over the time frame. So he's kind of pointing out these stats and just saying it might be a little out of control. Maybe we can rethink this just a little bit. He also goes out to say, he said, now this would be okay maybe if we were legitimately enhancing one another's lives. If that's what was going on and that's what was taking place, all for it. But he says 53.1% of people report receiving unwanted gifts during Christmas. 53.1%. We're talking over half. And that translates into 16 billion being wasted on unwanted <coughs> gifts every single year. Some reports indicate that up to 18% of gifts are never even used by the person who receives them, and that 4% are immediately thrown into the trash, right? So I don't know if you guys have ever watched Shark Tank. Yeah. I'm a sucker for stuff like that. I just am. But like every now and then, there's a business idea that creeps on, and they've got this really date-specific product that's out there, and it exists for none other than it's just like a party-centric idea, right? Like, have you guys seen in the past five years if you enter into a store, how many Christmas sweaters come out this time of year? I'm not knocking on you if you have one, because I've got some stuff too. But we're talking like an ugly Christmas sweater, solely for the sake of being ugly, solely for the purpose of wearing one day every year. You know what I mean? And now we're talking about like there's industries built around giving you a gift that you will literally throw away. Like, that it won't make it past probably that day. Maybe it's time we rethink the way that we give gifts, how we give gifts, what we do around this season. Because we like to tell people that we love them. We like to show admiration and respect. We like that sort of connection. But maybe we can rethink how kind of some of this all, you know, goes. He also said in here, very few people wait for the holidays to receive what they want anymore. Because goods have become so accessible and inexpensive, a high percentage of people just go buy whatever they want, whenever they want. So when we get to this season and we think about giving someone a gift, we go, well, I don't even know what to get them. Because they've got everything. Well, they don't have a tie that lights up, though. 
and says, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like you find yourself in that position. And I've certainly received those gifts before that have just kind of went straight to the trash. So anyway, if you want to look at this little printout that he's got in here, he also puts down how can we bring about change then surrounding this whole idea. And he's got some great ideas in there. Uh, I'm not necessarily going to go into them, but he does wrap it up by saying it's going to take some effort to change societal expectations around our current gift-giving habits, especially with the amount of money being spent to encourage it to entice us, to tempt us, to bring us to that place. But we can start with our families and allow them to enjoy the freedom of new expectations first. So I decided, hey, I'm gonna do a two-part series on rethinking gift giving, and I'm gonna approach it from what I kind of know the best right now. That's where I'm gonna go with it. I'm gonna approach it from that point. So this is rethinking gift giving, part one, titled, On Your Sleeve, Please. On Your Sleeve, Please. Now, a long time ago, I worked with a student who quickly gained the affection of my heart, mainly because every time I would see him, he would swear at me, and he would do so in such a great way. Like, it was just the best. Because every time I would see Tommy Moles, he would be like, damn, Phil. He would say something like that. And I was like, I love this kid. Like, he's amazing. And I worked with Tommy Moles, and we would go to camps, and we would go on trips. One of the very first camps I took Tommy Moles to, it was this Christian camp. And we were there, and he was listening to all this stuff about how God loves you and treat other people, you know, and blah, blah, blah. And it was all of this, like, head knowledge, head knowledge, head knowledge, stuff being thrown at him. And he did something that I felt like I always did growing up, which is like, you just gave me a whole bunch of information. You told me a whole lot of stuff. But now what? And that's essentially what Tommy Moles came to me with at the end of this camp. He was like, yeah, yeah, Phil, all this stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. But now what? I'm going back home. And I'm going to school. Tell me what I need to do there. Tell me what that looks like. Talk to me about that. It was then and there that I decided, whenever I stood up with students, whenever I got the chance to be a public speaker, whenever I got the chance to communicate, I was gonna talk from my heart to their heart. Because that was the stuff that really connected. That was the stuff that mattered the most. And so that's kind of been my philosophy moving forward. That was my whole game with More to Life. It was like, let's create a space where I can talk from my heart to your hearts. We can have that connection, that kind of meaningful depth that goes just a little bit below, hopefully even more so than the superficial. And it challenges us and nudges us in a way to consider and reflect something more than just like the dissemination of like information. And here you go, and you just get it. Let's talk about this more. Tommy Moles, he's awesome. He's the one who also led me years later to do this talk with students that was all about poker. They showed up that night, and we did Texas Hold'em, and we gave everybody money, and it was great. And we talked about poker, and we talked about being all in on something, what that like, what that looks like, to really put yourself out there and to be yourself and to have that kind of level of vulnerability. And so tonight, 
in dedication of Tommy Moles. I hope he's listening to this one on the podcast. It's on your sleeve, please. And I'm talking about your heart. I'm talking about wearing your heart on your sleeve and actually practicing vulnerability. Vulnerability. So if you know me at all, you might start to get the sense that I'm pretty passionate about music. Music is like a good noise in my life. I've been paying attention recently to how my days go, and when I have music in my day, it actually is a better day for me than if I go through my day in just pure, utter silence and just talking with people. I need that rhythm, I need that melody, I need that sound and that noise in my life because it does something to me mysteriously. I think it lifts me up in a very, very positive way. And so I've got three sons who also listen to music. We went on a camping trip recently with someone and we're all sitting around at the table and we're just eating food, you know, having lunch. And then out of nowhere, one of my boys just sings like three lyrics to a song. And then I think it was Anne, she like finished it off, you know? She finished off the song. And then one of the other boys started another song. He sang three lyrics of a song and then I finished it off. And so it started the game who can stump someone with like three lyrics. And we're just doing this, doing this, doing this. The other family was looking at us like we were crazy. They were not so much into music. She, the mom of the other family literally looked at us and said, I don't think I knew a single one of the songs that you guys sang. And then we were like, oh, but we're into music. We're a music kind of family. We love music. It's playing at our house a lot. Right now, a lot of my favorite songs have been Silas's, my oldest son's favorite songs. He's been playing songs and he'll like pull them up for me and he'll be like, Dad, check out this song, listen to this one. And I'll listen to it and I'll be like, oh, that is my new favorite song. And I'll play it out of style too. It's just like on repeat in my ears. And so I've got one of those songs for you tonight that I want you to listen to. But before you listen to it, I do want to tell you about one of my other favorite songs, which was by, it's, it's Africa by Toto, right? Do you guys know that song? Okay, it's a great song. Weezer, one of my favorite bands in the world, remade it recently, like in the last like six months. And they were playing that song and I pulled it up and I was playing and I was singing out loud to it. And for the first time in my life of loving this song, I was like, I don't think, I don't think I know the words. It hits this part, like I bless the rains down in Africa and it's really cool and it's really high. It says, I bless the rains down in Africa. And I was saying, I caught some rays down in Africa. <laughs> and I was singing it out loud. I cranked it in my car because it was Weezer. And I'm like driving down the road and I'm singing it. And I'm like, I caught some rays. And I was like, it doesn't say that. Like, what? And so I stopped and I was like, this favorite song of mine? Are you kidding me? I've been singing it wrong all of these years. <laughs> Very, very humbling, humbling moment for me because I love music so much. With that said, I printed the lyrics up to this song. They're underneath your chair. So you can pull it out and you can follow along with the lyrics in this song. It's called Kindest Regards. If you don't have lyrics underneath, there's actually Anne's getting some. I have the extra sheets back there. Um, It's a long song because this is a genre I'm sure you all love. Rap. Now, have you noticed how popular rap's becoming? Are you paying attention? Top 10 on iTunes. 
every song, every song, rap right now. Yeah, yeah, go there. Top 10, iTunes, hit it. Like, rap has, like, changed and become a, a force to reckon with in the past year. Like, it's, it's pretty interesting. And it was all around kind of Black Panther-ish, too, like the movie. Like, it's, it's coming into its own now. And this song is by a guy named Whit Lowry, and it's kind of a different kind of version of rap. But I want you to just read the lyrics. I want you to listen to the song and follow along. And then I've got a question for you right after we kind of break from it. So that's Whit Lowry. Whit Lowry, kindest regards. One of the songs that I play almost on a daily basis right now. I love that song, but I don't want to know if you love the song. I want to ask you a question. What can you tell me about Whit Lowry now that you've read those lyrics and you've heard that song? Is there anything that you can tell me about his story? Anything at all? He's wearing his heart on his sleeve. Is there anything about his story that stands out? He's clearly like putting it all out there. I mean, I'm, I'm paying attention. I mean, I know stuff about his dad, his mom, his grandma, <laughs> the girl he loves and can't have. I know how he feels about friendship right now. I know what he's doing with music. Man, he is putting it all out there. Next week, we're going to talk about one of the lines in that song. Um, he has a part in there where he says, where's that? Oh, yeah. He says, missed the drop date. Well, he said, alone in my room, dissecting each line that I rhyme. I don't know how I finished on time. He's talking about making the album, right? This new album that he's putting out. And then he said, I missed the drop date three times. I know that I let you all down. Well, I was the first in that line. We're going to talk about that line next time we get together and about the gift that we're going to give next week. But I just wanted to play that song for you because I love, I love how he wears his heart on his sleeve. I love his transparency. I love his authenticity. I love that he did rap to piano. <laughs> like, I love that he is vulnerable. Vulnerable. Now, if I hadn't given you this song and said that he was vulnerable, I'm curious as to how all of you would have defined vulnerability. Like if I had to throw vulnerability out there, I looked it up, you know I do, I've got a definition, it's coming on the slide next. What do you think the definition of vulnerability is? Like anybody, like a word or two, anybody? Openness? Exposure? Honest. Oh, see, that's why I love, I love people in Breckenridge and Dylan and Frisco and Silverthorne. I love people who come together to these groups. I love those definitions. That is not what the dictionary says. <laughs> I mean, like, that's, that's what it should be, though. That's what the definition should be. Let's, we got to look at this. Vulnerability. Capable of being physically or emotionally wounded. Open to attack or damage. Well, I see the open word. <laughs> Openness, it's in there. This is like the definition. 
vulnerability gets a bad rap. It's seen through a very negative lens. In fact, like when I, when I originally think of vulnerability, it takes me back to paintball days. I used to play a lot of paintball up here before all these homes existed in some areas. We would just go out into the woods and I would take like a group of middle school students and we would inflict pain. Like with what? It was. We would show up and we would show all the welts. Like it's, it's painful, right? Like lots of, and, and here's what you would talk about is, don't be vulnerable out here, right? You're leaving yourself vulnerable. Like sometimes when we would be hiding, it's like, well, I just want to look around the corner. I just want to, no, don't make yourself vulnerable. Like, you like peek around the corner and you get blasted like with paintballs, you know? Pain ensued. That's what came around. And for some other reason, when I think of vulnerability, I, and this might just be like Lord of the Rings talking or something, I don't know, but it's like I always picture a dragon and like a chink in the armor underneath like its neck. You know, it's, it's the point of exposure. It's the point where it is vulnerable and you can do damage and you can kill it and you can wound it. And so like, I get this definition. I totally get this definition. And I think sometimes when we hear the word vulnerability, we don't necessarily go to the place of Whit Lowry's song of wearing your heart on your sleeve. Instead, we respond to the word vulnerability with probably with what we've experienced the most, which is stories that sometimes don't end so well. And we focus more on this idea of being wounded and attacked and damaged. Vulnerability kind of floods that kind of emotion for us when we think about being vulnerable. When you think about having vulnerable emotions or moments of vulnerability Sometimes that can begin to stick out the most. But I wanted to lead with Whit Lowry's song because I think there's a level of vulnerability that we need and it's so great and we need to practice it more. And when I was thinking about this holiday season, and this might sound a little bit cheesy, but all the best stuff is cheesy. Like it is. Like can we give ourselves the gift of vulnerability? And can we give others the gift of the invitation to be vulnerable? To create spaces and experiences where we don't necessarily respond by woundedness, being attacked, or damage. And instead, it's that kind of idea of wearing your heart on your sleeve. And I want you to do that. And it's okay to do that. It's, in fact, safe to do that, and it's actually going to be more beneficial to us than what we tend to do when we feel wounded, attacked, and damaged. All too often, all too often vulnerability is viewed like as weakness. It's like, it's like the weak spot on that dragon's neck, you know? Like, it's the weak spot in us. And I want to flip that a little bit. I don't want it to be seen through the negative lens. I don't want it to be viewed as weakness or an exposure to allow pain to occur. Our experiences can certainly bring that up and, and back that up. I'm sure you've had plenty of moments where things didn't end out quite so swell. But vulnerable emotions and moments, they lead to connection, deep connection that we can't experience otherwise. Vulnerability and connection 
These things go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. Vulnerability, connection. We've got to have both of those. It's a both and kind of scenario. Lots of times, if we've experienced vulnerability in a negative way, you know, it's kind of the self-preservation thing that kicks in. Your brain does what it's supposed to do, right? Like, you, if you've ever been wounded, attacked, or damaged, like you automatically enter into retreat mode. That's what you do. Like you're trying to get out of there. You're trying to self-protect. You retreat. You go the other way. And so a lot of times now when we enter into a moment that possesses that kind of level of vulnerability, we run the other direction. We do so. We've been taught to do it, and our brains want us to do it. It's like your brain overrides the idea of connecting and like going into vulnerability. And it says, no, 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 no. Head the other way. Like, I need you to get out of here. And so this whole kind of tension and struggle ensues when we go into those moments. You cover up your heart. You keep yourselves a mystery to those around you rather than risking uncertainty because there is the possibility that when you go into vulnerability, you could be emotionally wounded, you could be attacked, you could be damaged. Often we kind of prefer the safety over connection. But we're finding out nowadays that that safety isn't all it's cracked up to be. Oftentimes when you do retreat, you lose connection. You distance yourself from people. And we know that that brings on a feeling of loneliness. And loneliness amplifies it. It makes you even more afraid to reach out to anyone. And it creates this kind of harsh cycle that like, leaves you disconnected and leaves you feeling more and more afraid to reach out and to experience vulnerability. It's all kind of like a harsh, nasty cycle. In 1980, 20% of people reported that they felt lonely. 1980. Today, that stat's well over double. Right? We've got a lot of self-preservation occurring in our society. We've been taught and perpetuate the experience of living from our hurt rather than our heart, right? So we know the woundedness, we know that feeling, and we kind of tend to live from that space rather than wearing our heart on our sleeve again. Because at some point, we maybe experienced something that said, ah, oh, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't wear your heart on your sleeve. But here's something interesting about connection. So a neuroscience researcher studying, studying loneliness at the University of Chicago said this. Oh, sorry. Ah, that's a bad typo. Anyway, he explains that as members of a social species, we don't derive strength from our rugged individualism, but rather from our collective ability to plan, communicate, and work together. Our neural, hormonal, and genetic makeup support interdependence over independence. To grow to adulthood as a social species, including humans, is not to become autonomous and solitary. It's to become the one on whom others can depend. Whether we know it or not, our brain and biology have been shaped to favor this outcome. That's like what he said. And I can give you his name later if you want it. I just couldn't pronounce it, so I didn't want to read it out loud. It's one of those names, you know? <laughs> In other words, we're a social species. Connection 
it matters. Connection is as critical to our well-being as food and water. You can say, I can do without that, but that's like you saying, like, I can go hungry and be okay. We are hardwired for connection. We're hardwired for vulnerability. It's a both and kind of scenario. So what I'm asking you to do is to honestly take care of yourself. Vulnerability, risk, uncertainty, exposure, openness, we're redefining it. We should really send a letter somewhere and say like, hey, let's change this definition. Because it's not all about being wounded and attacked and damaged. Like it's risk, yes, it's uncertainty, it's exposure, it's openness, which can lead to pain and or joy. That's the part they're leaving out when it comes to vulnerability. It's like a necessary ingredient to experience joy. I've also got just a couple of things I wanted to throw out there as far as health quotes. I know we've got some health nuts in the room. I wanted to put this out there for you. Um, this is so great. One of the most well-respected researchers in this area is Susan Pinker. In her book, The Village Effect, How Face-to-Face -face Contact Can Make Us Healthier and Happier, Pinker writes this. In a short evolutionary time, we've changed from group living primates skilled at reading each other's every gesture and intention to a solitary species, each one of us preoccupied with our own screen. Based on studies across diverse fields, Pinker concludes that there is no substitute for in-person interactions. No substitute. They're proven to bolster our immune system and positive hormones surging through our bloodstream and brain and help us live longer. Pinker adds, I call this building your village and building it is truly a matter of life and death. Social interaction makes us live longer, healthier lives by a lot. In fact, neglecting to keep in close contact with people who are important to you is at least as dangerous to your health as a pack a day cigarette habit, hypertension or obesity. Making eye contact Shaking someone's hand or giving someone even a high five lowers your cortisone level and releases dopamine, making you less stressed and providing a little chemical boost. Pinker writes, research shows that playing cards once a week or meeting friends every Wednesday night at Starbucks adds as many years to our lives as taking beta blockers or quitting a pack a day smoking habit. Connection. But connection requires Vulnerability requires it. Man, I love that kind of stuff. That just geeks me out. I don't know about you guys. I think it's so cool. That book that I just held up was Brene Brown's Braving the Wilderness. And in there, she's got this quote that says, vulnerability is the birthplace. This is a good definition, too, but I don't think Merriam-Webster would go for it. Vulnerability is the birthplace of love, joy, Trust, intimacy, courage, everything that brings meaning to our life. When we let people take our vulnerability, we turn our entire life over to them. That's the part that I need to remember personally. And when I was thinking about this holiday season and the gift that I could give myself and the gift that I could give other people, it's, it's owning and embracing and practicing my own vulnerability. 
You know, throughout the years, I've had a lot of people talk with me about certain talks that I've given and students. And one of the things that comes up and one of the things why I feel like sometimes I make good connections up here is just because I tend to kind of put it all out there. Like, I even spoke with someone recently who said, yeah, like, sometimes just hearing about your messy life makes me feel a whole lot better about mine. <laughs> you know, like, different things like that. But it's, we need, we need these spaces. We need those interactions. And it's not even about the quantity of them. It's about the quality of them. You don't need to have a bazillion friends or a bazillion connections. But you do need some spaces in which you can be vulnerable. And you can invite others into that space as well. What a great gift to give. It's not something material. It's not something like extremely tangible. But man, is it beneficial. And we would be a whole lot better off like giving that gift to one another. We've got a few more minutes here. And I want to share just a couple of stories. Because I feel like when we adventure into vulnerability, we create those me too spaces, right? Those me too spaces that would otherwise not exist. Like a lot of times what can happen is you get, you get pulled into somewhere and the loneliness kicks in because you weren't vulnerable. So the distance created. And then suddenly your brain can like create and construct narratives and stories that don't even exist but that like keep you there and even keep you further and further away. And sometimes that isolation and that loneliness is the worst of all. It's like a whole identity crisis by then, you know, <laughs> like it can just spiral out of control. Two big questions concerning vulnerability. Are we as a group of people willing to show up and be seen when we can't control the outcome? That's an honest question. It points back to that definition I put up there, because it can lead to joy or pain. Are you willing to show up and be seen even when you can't control the outcome? Second question is, are we willing to create and enter? Are we willing to create and enter into courageous spaces so that we can be fully seen? Because sometimes you have to take charge and actually create those spaces. You have to start that conversation. You have to be the catalyst sometimes. Are we willing to create and enter into those spaces? I'm encouraging you to give yourself and others the gift of wearing your heart on your sleeve. That's what I'm encouraging you to do. And to give others the invitation to be vulnerable. Like a few weeks ago, I sent my dad a text. Um, I was thinking about the year 2018 for me. And I just said, man, 2018 was like the year I fell apart. It's been a rough year. And, and it was like a switch flipped at one point. And, and my therapist said, hey, but, but this isn't happening to you. It's happening for you so that you can put these pieces back together. You can be put back together and you can keep moving forward because life was unsustainable. And in her own words, she said, God loves you too much to let you keep living this way. That's why you've hit this wall. That's what you're experiencing is this harsh kind of love. And I was like, ugh, all right. But you know, it's one of those moments. And I was texting my dad and I was like, you know, the two th 2018 was this year of me falling apart. 2019, it's 
me being put back together. And I'm excited. And I'm looking forward to it. And I said, Dad, I want you to pray about these things for me. Anxiety. <sighs> Trust. <sighs> and the list went on and on and on. And he didn't text me back. And normally my dad's pretty good with that kind of stuff. I mean, he's 70, but he, he's good. Like, and so the next day he said, you know, you sent me that text and I was sitting down with a group of six other men that I had never met before. We had just decided to get together that night and about 10 minutes into the meeting, you sent me your text. So my dad did what I would have done. He read it out loud to him. <laughs> he said, my son, my son just texted me this. Look at this. And he finished reading my really long, stupid text, right, that you have to scroll through. I'm one of those guys, too. Pretty long-winded. Oh, and so like, he reads this whole text to this group of guys. And a guy in the group goes, if you're going to pray for him about that stuff, will you pray for me? He's like, I'm the most anxious person ever. Like, it's destroying my life. And then this other guy chimes in. And my dad said what was supposed to be like an hour meeting went for three hours with these other six men. And he called me that next day telling me all of this. And he's like, I don't think it ever would have happened if you hadn't sent that text and been vulnerable like that. I was able to read that, and it just created this new space where suddenly everybody could, like, say, oh, yeah, me, ah, me too. And it just kind of spiraled. And so now there's this list going on, like, of people being prayed for in 2019 about being put back together. I also wanted to share this idea, too, of... Um, inviting other people, you know, into, into being vulnerable. And I think I've got like 10 minutes here, so I'm going to share two stories briefly. I used to work at Applebee's for like four days um, <laughs> back when I was in college, and it was a very short stint. But I'm one of those guys, I'm personable, so everybody thinks like I'm pretty confident. They think uh, Phil's got it all together, you know, and I'm, I'm not that guy. You know, and, and I was working and I was waiting on tables and it was the first time I had done this and it was in college and they were just like, oh, he's got this. He's just so confident. He's on top of the world. I was inside. I was like a wreck and I had no clue what I was doing. And I remember coming out to this guy sitting at a table and I told him, it's my first day, like by myself. So, you know, take it easy on me you know, with all those things, and what do you want for lunch, blah, 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 you know, and he's like, all right, all right, and he tells me everything he wants for lunch, and so I go into the kitchen. When I go into the kitchen, I, I put in the order, and I, I somehow forgot, like, something was happening in the corner with workers back there, and I was immediately sucked into that and drawn into that, and I, and I was paying attention, and so then I thought I had put in his order, but I really didn't put in his order, right, and so I come back out, I'm walking around, and at one point, he's like, hey, hey, uh, it's been a while. And I was like, oh, yeah, sorry. I completely forgot to put in your order. <laughs> I'll, I'll be right back. You know, I'm going to do that. And I go back, and I put in the order. And this time when I go in there, like, some, I mentioned to someone, hey, I forgot his order. So I was like, can someone make sure this happens fast? And they were like, we're on it, Phil, blah, blah, blah. So I go back out. I'm walking around. I'm tending to some other tables. And then I walk back by, and he has ordered potato, like, cheesy potato soup. Okay, for lunch. And it's winter time, so it makes sense. But whatever. We're there. And so then he's like, hey, no soup yet. And I'm like, 
so sorry. I'm going to go check on that right now. So I go back into the kitchen, and the people who I had tasked with, you know, making this happen as fast as possible, one of the girls had, like, opened this bag of soup, which was already, like, hot and boiling and nasty, and somehow she created this whole bad scenario where all of the soup went onto her arm, and she had, like, really bad burns, right? And I was like, ah! And so I'm trying to help her, and everybody's, like, and they're calling the doctor, and they're going to run her to the hospital and make everything happen. And I go back out, and I bring him his soup, and I set it down on the table, and I'm like, I'm so so sorry, sir, we just had a slight emergency back in the kitchen. And he looks at his soup and he goes, what? No bacon on top of the cheesy potato soup anymore? I was like, sorry. (laughs) I'll go back. And I go back to the kitchen and I get him this stuff. And when I come back, he just looks at me and he goes, you know what? Let me just speak to your manager. First day, you are crashing and burning. (laughs) Crashing and burning. That's what he said to me. And I was like, I'm happy to go get the manager, man. And so, like, I got the manager, and he got his meal for free, and maybe that's what he wanted all along, right? I don't know. But here's the thing. Man, don't some of us need a day off every now and then? I'm in the customer service industry myself, and I have bad days. And someone, I mean, man, thank God Yelp didn't exist, like, right back then, because he could have, like, bam, 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 bam. One star, nope, zero. You know, like, just, like, lighten me up. Here's the thing. You never know what's going on in other people's lives. And I can tell you what, that's one of those interactions I could have where, like, now I want to be less vulnerable, less and less vulnerable. I want to chunk up some armor. I want to make sure, like, I'm not exposed at all. Because, like, those kind of experiences just kind of wear on you. I mean... The girl burned her arm. She was like going to the hospital, for God's sakes. Like, you know, sometimes on your end, you can react and respond in a way that allows someone to be vulnerable, and you just flip the whole story. Because sometimes it's not about your potato soup and the (laughs) bacon on top. You know what I mean? And sometimes, you know, people need a day off. I honestly had another experience with a couple there, and like they were asking me how I was doing and what was going on in my day and if I was okay because I looked pretty stressed out. (laughs) And I was. You know what I'm saying? But that experience lets me respond and enter into a space that's entirely different. So maybe it's about you too, like being able to invite people into a space and creating that wherever it might be the strangest places. I mean, it could happen at Applebee's in Muncie, Indiana. You can invite somebody into that space and allow them to be vulnerable. Maybe they don't have a lot of spaces in their life where they can do that. Most of us are taught not to do it, to armor up, to retreat, to find your bunker, to not be exposed. I want to offer you guys this holiday season the gift of wearing your heart on your sleeve. Practicing that, intentionally setting out to do it, changing the definition of vulnerability, right? And making it a positive thing, seeing it through that positive kind of lens. Connection matters. You are absolutely hardwired for vulnerability. 
I would ask you to be brave. I would ask you to be courageous. I would ask you to be counter-cultural. I would ask you to wear your heart on your sleeve. Until next time, friends, may you be vulnerable. May you allow yourself to be seen. May you refuse to be a mystery to those around you. May you get uncomfortable. May you share your pain. May you tell your story. May you live from your heart rather than your hurt. In other words, wear your heart on your sleeves, please, please. Amen. That's what we've got for tonight, the gift of vulnerability. Next week, we'll be talking about two things, which is kind of the gift of self-kindness, as well as one more thing that I'm not going to like let out of the bag, because I'm still working on it, and it might make it into the talk. I don't know yet, so I don't want to put it out there yet, but it's pretty good, too. We've got self-kindness and something else next week. But you've got those lyrics. You can take them with you. You can leave them here. We'll recycle them. Don't forget, if you want to grab that um, short article on rethinking gift giving this Christmas, it's back there by Joshua Becker. But other than that, thank you so much for coming tonight and being here and grab more dessert, more drinks. And then Anne saying, oh, yeah, in two weeks on the 18th, in two weeks on the 18th, we'll actually be meeting at the French Club Creek House again. Like, it's kind of going to be like our more like holiday-ish night, too, because we've got a fire there. Man, it's so great. I get to see it in front of a fire, and it just feels a little homey. But we'll have some Christmas goodies and holiday goodies and things. What? Oh, I thought they were making fun of me back there. But I felt it. I felt it. French Creek Clubhouse. Yeah. Yeah, you guys know. If you don't know how to get there, we can tell you how to get there. Otherwise, we'll see you then. Thank you, thank you, thank you for coming to Mortal Life tonight.